Hello, this is The Artcast, the fortnightly art review podcast with me, Kaz Murray, Laura Lennard, and Vicky Kaswalska. Welcome to episode four. This week we're looking at Annie Albers, which is on at the Tate Modern. But before we get into talking about Annie, uh, I think we just wanted to take a bit of a moment to thank all our listeners who've tuned in so far. Yeah, we've been so excited by the number of people who've like listened to particularly the Frida. Didn't you see the Frida's on like Frida's winning. She's at 159. So proud. has been checking the evening stats <laughs> every second of the day. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say it's been slow at work, but it really hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we're so pleased people are listening and thank you to everyone who's taken the time to do a little review as well or just to rate us on iTunes. It really helps other people to find us as well. So um, we'd love it if you could continue to rate and review and subscribe. Yeah, it's just so exciting because this is the first time we've done anything like this with complete rookies. So the fact that people are listening is just really heartwarming. Okay, well, shall I take away with a bit of an intro? Take it away with the intro. Annie Albers was a German textile artist and printmaker, best known for her work blending the ancient craft of weaving with modern art. In 1922, she became a student at the Bauhaus, a radical art school in Germany, which intended to bring together sculpture, painting, arts and crafts on an equal playing field. Whilst there, Albers was encouraged to specialise in weaving, something she was not particularly enamoured with at first, saying she went into weaving unenthusiastically as merely the least objectionable choice. However, gradually the threads caught my imagination. After the Bauhaus was forced to close in 1933 due to pressures from the Nazis, Annie and her husband Joseph moved to the US. There, Annie established herself as one of the most important designers of the day. She taught at the Progressive Art School Black Mountain College, set up a weaving workshop continued to develop her artistic practice with weaving, being her primary medium, and worked on numerous design commissions. In 1949, Annie Albers became the first textile artist to have a one-person exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, and her textile work intersects art, design, architecture, ranging from woven wall hangings to interior textiles to mounted pictorial weavings combining both traditional and industrial materials. The Tate has described this retrospective as a long overdue recognition of Annie Alba's pivotal contribution to modern art and design, and it's the first major exhibition of her work in the UK. It includes a vast array of textile work, as well as technical drawings, sketches, experimental jewellery, and artefacts she gathered for her seminal book, On Weaving. Cool, so what did everyone think? Vicky, what did you think of the show? How did you find it? Well, I think we kind of are of the same view in as far as that the work itself probably didn't speak to us that strongly. Mm. But what I found really, really amazing and really enthused me was the fact that the Tate has, A, highlighted this really important artist Mm. and the fact that her work, even though she was exhibited at MoMA during her own lifetime, is very much now seen as part of the canon of art because so often weaving is seen as a craft and doesn't get the due recognition that it deserves for the skill and the complexity that it involves. I was just really excited to see that she's getting that that recognition. recognition. And it's something really new for the Tate Modern, I think. Yeah, and I love the um, the quote that you used in your introduction as well because they called her a pivotal influence on modernism so you know they were putting her right front and center in the way that that movement kind of 
developed. And yeah, I was really excited to see it. Well, actually, initially, when Kazi first said she wanted to sit, because Kazi's getting into her weaving, I was thinking a little bit like, mm, I'm not really sure this is going to be for me. And then I read lots of information around Annie Albers before I went, and I went in so excited because I'd read about the narrative of, I think, when she was sort of 20, Oscar Kokoschka kind of really belittled her in terms of her paintings, sort of said to her, and very discouraging way why do you bother painting or something along those lines and then she applied to the Bauhaus as a painter didn't get in as a painter applied for several other mediums before she finally was accepted into the weaving workshop which Kaz was telling me earlier was actually referred to as the woman's workshop so it was the kind of only only position available to her as a woman that the reason that she wasn't accepted into those various courses wasn't because she wasn't any good, but it was because the places were given preferentially to male applicants over female ones. And the fact that then the Tate were kind of getting her back into the central position of modern art where she's kind of been overlooked because of the fact she was a weaver, I was so excited by it. And so I went into the exhibition like really High excited. Hopes. Yeah, like you said <laughs> earlier, I got on my feminist horse and I was riding in. Um, crashing through the door. Crashing through the door. <laughs> Show me the Annie Albers. But then I was actually really disappointed and I don't know if I'm more disappointed in my myself or in the exhibition and I was saying before to the girls I feel like I want to channel Deborah Francis White and say I am a feminist but I don't love the work of Annie Albers well don't worry Laura because I think I can make up for that by just loving her all the more (laughs) so I yeah exactly I'll I'll carry the Annie Albers flag but um yeah I mean I didn't know anything about her in the space of about three hours went from not knowing her at all to being like a mega mega super fan with an enormous girl crush on her (laughs) um I really loved it I found it really enthralling and awe-inspiring I mean I'm quite into my craft so just the technical skill and spending ages looking at her weavings and trying to work out you know how has she made them how has she used the materials and there was this really lovely moment well there's quite a few moments like this where sort of there was pairings of older ladies who were like hunched over some of her technical drawings desperately trying to work out oh how was that made I can I could do it if I was knitting but I can't work out how she's woven that and it was just a really funny moment because if I was with my friend Alexia that would be us but yeah I just loved the fact that I felt a bit of a kinship with a lot of the, lot of the other gallery goers. And there was one lady who was like, I weave and I can't work out how she's mm-hmm. done this. And I was like, oh, come on, tell me. I want to know more. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a great time. Something that was really interesting in terms of the creation of this exhibition is that they really put Annie Albers's voice front and centre in telling her story. So in each of the different rooms, in the blurb that went along with those rooms it always started with a direct quote from Annie Albers herself and taking our cue from those quotes and the themes that they addressed yeah we just want to kind of take you through some of the things we found the most interesting about the exhibition. So I suppose the first thing that I thought was really interesting was her blending of an ancient medium with sort of modern art and modernism which was kind of taking this kind of tradition that's 4,000 years old and all over the world but then actually bringing it into the sort of realm of modern art and exploring Mm. it in that context, I thought was really kind of, that really struck me in that, particularly that Mm. first room. Yeah, and as you go through the exhibition as well, you obviously discover that she had a real interest in the ancient art of weaving as well. So it was something that was quite close to her heart. She went on a trip, didn't she? Mm, Yeah, to like Mexico. Mexico. And I think that influence of the ancient and the patterns that she saw in the ancient weavings really influenced the way that she thought of pattern in her own work because I think some of it is sort of very modern you've got that Mondrian-esque type block type formats and and very linear and then you'll see other pieces of her work which are completely different and sort of 
squiggly lines that go all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So I that sort of fluidity of her work between one and the other, I found really mm. interesting, and the way that mm. she mar- manages to offset one against the other. Um, it's yeah. fascinating. And we were saying before that it was quite it's quite rare for a work of modern art to be interested in history or interested in the ancients because the majority of sort of modernism as a movement is kind of much more forward looking and she kind of manages to be both. Mm. It's both forwards and backwards. It's kind of quite respectful of what's come before but also forging a path forwards at the same yeah, time. Yeah, kind of bringing it into like the contemporary. Yeah, and work marrying of the time. it with the, the Bauhaus ideals as well. So just if we sort of run through some of that in relation to her work as well. So so the Bauhaus school was very much about form and function. So it was about an artwork or a, or a craft or whatever the object was being truthful to its function as much as in its form. So there's very little decoration. There's very little ornamentation, and they they had the ideal that art should be accessible to everybody. In, in a way that it would be, you know, good artful design would be in everybody's houses, whether that's through furniture or architecture or mm-hmm. textiles. And so we were saying earlier as well that we felt that Annie Elvis was extremely successful in kind of achieving those ends. Yeah. So few mediums were actually as commercially successful as the weaving workshop was. It really fulfilled that Bauhaus aim of bringing high-end design to the masses through mass production. Mm. I think one of the things that the Bauhaus does certainly is it, it crosses that boundary between design and art. And I think what Annie does so perfectly is encapsulate that in textiles that we take for granted. You know, they're everywhere in our daily lives. But she created works that were either incredibly functional. You know, she did a lot of work designing fabrics that were used on a day-to-day basis. She created a beautiful blueprint for a fabric with, that was just meant to line the walls of an auditorium that if it had gone to plan, would have been insane. Just like mm. it was sort of and silver. It was, it was also soundproof, wasn't and it? it was yeah. sort of soundproof. Yeah. I guess my point is, is that she also then did the same and framed it. And this kind of intersection of fabric for design and use and then fabric that is designed and created to be framed and put on a wall. That duality and I guess also duplicity because it's, you know, the same thing, technically. Yeah. But it's the duplicity of what she's it's doing. It's got a slightly different setup, so yeah, it's treated it's differently. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's really fascinating. Yeah, well, like, which leads on, we've talked about this quite a bit in preparation, but the kind of whole craft, what what is craft, what is art? And I think that's also something really interesting when, particularly she, she did a lot of pictorial weavings, which she deliberately put in a frame and kind of said that there was they were to have no other purpose, they weren't to be sat on or walked on, other, they were their whole purpose was to be looked at, which is, I guess, slightly counter to when people look at weaving being quite functional mm. and for a more practical purpose. Yeah, I liked how she played around with that and potentially got us to look at a medium that's associated with practicality in yeah. quite a different way. Yeah, and a lot of those pictorial weavings, they kind of, to me, when I looked at them, looked like landscapes. There was one called pastures, which actually, yeah. when I first looked at it, I thought, oh, it looks like fields and all these little squares of kind of fields from like a, a bird's eye view and then mm. looked at the title and, and saw it was pastures. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I really got that when I was looking at it. Yeah, I was so hopeful that I was going to love those <sighs> works. I thought it would be like standing in front of an abstract, like a Rothko or something, which mm. I really, I feel really engaged with. But yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know why. For me, I think there was something about how he sort of 
are conditioned to experience textile and it's so much to do with touch and it's so much to do with draping yourself. We're back on that theme again. Yeah, back on touch. (laughs) I was thinking of Vicky the whole way around because I was thinking Vicky is going to be wanting to touch like crazy. And also actually orally, I told you guys, my little daughter was there with me and she got overexcited and took an absolute run up at an artwork (laughs) and there's some of them hanging from the ceiling and there's like white boxes around the floor where you're not meant to stand Obviously, she she's one years old. She didn't know about that. Didn't get the memo. Burst into the box <laughs> at such a speed, and I'm not joking. This enormous gallery, this alarm went off that was like, wow, 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 and everyone was staring at us. And I had to run in after her to retrieve her. It was a nightmare. Good work, Ori, breaking down those. Barriers. I know. I thought yeah. she was following in your your two footsteps. Yeah, very proud. Week. We've taught her well. <laughs> I think. From my perspective, often work that's classed as craft is often seen as a second class medium to fine art. I guess one of the other things that is associated with craft and weaving in particular, given its history, is associated with women. And to see it in an art gallery, I think for me, what was really heartening was A, that it has been um, elevated to that degree. But also, I think, through the process of elevating it, it's elevated the status of certainly women in art or in craft, Mm. I guess as it is, and taken a form of work that doesn't get the due recognition that it deserves. Exactly. I mean, sort of referencing what you said, Laura, earlier, like even the Bauhaus, where the whole point was it was bringing in all these different disciplines on an equal level, still referred to the weaving workshop as the women's workshop. So, yeah, I thought that was really cool in terms of seeing it on an equal playing field with other mediums that maybe get a bit more will get a lot more gallery space what I would say though about the way in which she created the art is that I guess because she was part of the Bauhaus an intrinsic part of being in that movement was that it was a school and she did a lot of teaching I found that you know the the women that supported her and were part of her lessons and I think you know from what I could see the photos of of her class's well, they were always women. There is something quite nice about... <laughs> well, there was one that looked a lot like a certain Johnny Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sent me a picture. Yeah. I laughed so much, I dropped my pen in my teeth. Yeah. Broke my pen. So for all the listeners yeah. out there, there was this photo of all of these um, women weaving, and then there was one who had very distinctive hair that looked a lot like a certain Johnny Leonard, which <laughs> I took a photo of and sent to Laura. That's my husband. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and our editor. But yeah, I, there was something com- there's something about the communal and the passing on of skill and... Yeah, but, actually, but I don't know. There's something nice about it. But... There was a lot yeah. of the um, the Black Mountain College, but yeah. it was kind of communal living. So again, yeah. it's that kind of everyone together. And I keep using the word craft. I obviously mean art, but things like knitting or sewing—that's all things that are kind of done in groups yeah. a lot of the time. But also just that sharing of knowledge of by someone who is also at the forefront of creating art, I think, is really wonderful because I think so often artists in this day and age become quite obsessed with sort of maybe more their persona or kind of... Banksy. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same person I was about to say about the person who spoke about last week, Banksy. You know, peddling their own PR, so that idea of sharing knowledge and sharing ideas. Well, I guess it was quite central to kind of modernism in terms of like... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, like a lot of the, her early wall hangings were lost. The, the ones that she'd made um, when she was in the Bauhaus were lost, I think, probably during the Second World War. And she actually commissioned another weaver to recreate them. Yeah. yeah. And, and those replicas 
uh, well, like the ones that were hanging. So again, it's that sort of yeah. sharing. But do you think practice. that is a difference between modernism and postmodernism? That modernism was more collaborative, that it had more kind of utopian ideals that it was striving for, whereas now we're too it's interested a bit on time, though, isn't it? Focus on the self. Yeah, yeah, or like sort of of like being ironic or being you know questioning things rather than like working together on a goal. I think the Bauhaus in particular. As a, as a movement was all about collaboration, right? Because yeah. it was, everybody had a different skill set and it was about how you worked together to create a whole. And, that, and it's so hopeful. Movement. Yeah. I, I feel like well, modernism yeah, is a lot optimistic. more hopeful. Yeah. They believed in mass production and they they believed that everybody could have art within their household. And We were saying earlier, it's not really mass production in the way that we think of as mass Absolutely. production. It was, I guess, what we now think of a limited series. when you go into into a shop or something and it's like limited production of only whatever I think for them that's kind of how they viewed it and the technological advances that had allowed kind of mass production to happen on whatever scale it was happening Mm. was was so exciting and so new and so novel and, and people were really hopeful about them I guess it's similar to how like we were all so hopeful about the internet you know not that long ago yeah and I think like connected to that point in one of the last rooms Annie Albers talks about tactile sensibility so even though Mm. she was sort of pro kind of like modern in processes and materials she sort of did look at one of the I guess like unintended consequences of like this kind of mass-produced industrialized world is that people might lose connection with the tactile and and that coming with making and, and kind of handcraft. She did do designs that were made on of industrial looms, but also she really advocated using hand looms, mm-hmm. even with all of her students. And she sort of seemed to really advocate the importance of touch and tactility and actually what do we lose when actually everything is made either by someone else in another country yeah. or by machines or and, and digitally printed or whatever. And finished touch to it as well in terms of, what I found extraordinary is she would create the most of it on the loom and then go through and mm. thread things by hand separately. The role of the artist in that moment, I think for me, certainly was really significant that she goes through and that sort of finishing, in the same way that an artist with a brush would add the finishing brush strokes and whatever else, that was really her artistic yeah. touch to the whole process. And perhaps if you've been through that process personally in terms of creating something and, and that time and that labour and that energy that goes into it, you, you're not so quick to discard it either. It's so easy <laughs> for us to consume, particularly mm. textiles. Yeah, I suppose a commoditized nature of textiles now yeah. just means that we don't give it a second thought in terms of how even quite expensive materials are created. Yeah. Um, Whereas if we were using our hands and creating and and going through that process, we'd probably be more respectful. And actually, yeah. that's she does a lot of a lot of her work elevates the status of materials that we don't think of as being particularly expensive or worthwhile or certainly not artistic. Mm. So she uses cellophane in her weaving to create the most beautiful sort of shimmers that go through the work. She did a whole line of jewelry out of <laughs> yeah. stuff Found that you objects. buy in a hardware store. Mm. So um, I loved the Kirby grip necklace. And, yeah, <laughs> Kirby grips, a colander, a strainer. <sighs> you know, she really does. I think in terms of the thing that struck me in terms of her more than anything was her ability to elevate what we think of as being everyday to an art. Mm. Um, and that's not through a sort of Duchamp style, I've stuck my signature on it, and stuck it in an art gallery and therefore it's art, which is a conceptual thing. This is really through the process of through craft her, and her 
her skill and her Mm. ability to see beautiful design and see how these elements can sit together to create something that transcends its usual purpose. The same conversation that we've been having this entire time regarding weaving as a craft as or an art form it was something that she was a very cognizant of and has demonstrated throughout her work but ultimately something that she I think recognized wasn't going to get her very far it wasn't a, a conversation that I think the world was ready for at the time because she ended up moving into printmaking mm-hmm. and there's a great quote from her which <clears throat> says when the work is made with threads it's considered a craft when it's on paper it's considered art and I think for me, that speaks of the frustration that she probably felt in in creating weaving, which is, in her mind, limited to being a craft and ultimately having to change and do something else. I and I hope that, that the Tate now, in, in putting on this exhibition, succeeds in doing something she never managed to do in her own lifetime, yeah. particularly, and does elevate it to a real art. Absolutely. Does that mean I need to now, rather than saying I'm into craft, like I'm a crafter, do I just need to say I'm yes, an artist? Yes, you're an artist. I'm an artist. <laughs> an artist. I think that's what we can take you away from artist. this exhibition. Um, but I think there was an element of of her ageing that led to that yeah, move to paper Yeah, I read well. something about yeah, that. Yeah, I think because it's such a physical activity using mm. the loom. So I hadn't quite realised how big looms are until so in the exhibition they have one of Annie Albers's looms in the first room as you go in and you're greeted with this vast contraption it really kind of shows you how physical it must have been I think there was maybe a few things Uh, but she was very cognizant of that dynamic and also yeah using a loom is pretty um it's quite really physical actually yeah it's hard work she described apparently in her teaching with her students she would get them to imagine that they were in a Peruvian desert with nothing. And then she's like, right, where do you go from here? What do you use to shelter yourself with? She sort of said that that was the starting point to understand what a textile could be. And I really liked that idea of, right, you've got, it's almost a bit like... Making like, it life or death. Yeah, it's like you've got this, textiles. this and this, and you've got to like weave something out of it, go. <laughs> On the side of a cliff face. God, that, that might be like a really, really niche sort of... TV reality Weaving show. strictly yeah. kind of... <laughs> Yeah, celebrities. You should found it, Kat. Oh, gosh, I'll be the presenter. Yeah. BBC, if you're listening, oh, that's, that's an official pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose what the sort of limitations working within those, actually the extraordinary creativity that can come from that, I mm. think is something that really struck me. Because mm. a lot of her, like, her wall hangings and weavings, like looking at them, the, like, the detail and the kind of variation that she creates through what is a process that's not changed in 4,000 years mm. blew my mind. Yeah, I was going around thinking, I wish I was seeing this with Kaz because she'd be able to talk me through the different <laughs> techniques that she's using and I would have a lot more respect for that like technical knowledge. I mean, I've never woven before, but I am desperate to have a loom. But I have knitted a lot and I remember that when I was in the exhibition, spent a lot of time just staring at a wall hanging, being like, how on earth has she made mm. this? I don't understand. And in, in the exhibition, there's a lot of her technical drawings where she's designing on grid paper, which is exactly the same thing you do with knitting, actually. Is it? Yeah. And then from that, creates this wall hanging. And I was like, so what's gone on in between? I don't get yeah. like how you've gone from the that. artist's hand. Exactly. And the fact that because of the nature of weaving on a loom, you have to plan it all out in advance. And it's almost like, architectural working out how yeah. everything goes together the colors the texture you think in 3d don't you yeah it's that's not... the best way i could describe it yeah but the tate does a really good job i think and i think this is kind of a departure from what we've seen them do in terms of their curating style is demonstrate how it works and mm. at the end 
of the exhibition, there's some videos of people weaving and there's examples of the materials that you can do that tactile yeah. piece and yeah. actually go and have a good feel. Everyone goes around the gallery, especially yeah. reading the quotes about the tactility of textiles, thinking, oh, I just want to I just want to touch all understand. I think it's, it's yeah, twofold. It's, yeah. I want to know how this actually works because you, to your point, you're like, blank just complete yeah. blank like yeah. i have no idea how a loom works and seeing the video actually brought home for me the real skill that was involved and i think yeah. her choice of materials also became much clearer at the end as well when they had the examples of the different options she yeah. was using so in the last room you can feel most of the materials that she used um they're hanging in swatches um but there's also woven swatches as well yeah. there's different types of weaves that you mm. can feel with different materials and there's a video of a contemporary weaver yeah at the foundation who has a residency yeah at the annie alba's and no it's Annie and Joseph Elvis isn't it yeah. foundation so you can you kind of can piece it all together and actually there were some ladies who were who kind of arrived in that room at the same time with me and they all rushed towards the swatches and said at last and, you know, they were really like <laughs> really rubbing yeah. them and kind of feeling each one there was just tons of that of people like desperately trying to like because also my instinct when I see a fabric is I want to turn it over because by looking behind it that's often how yeah, you can tell so. okay really? like yeah so that's how if I had free reign I'd be like all up in there looking at the back trying to work out okay like how has she managed to go from a black square to a white square considering that you know you've got the warp which is going vertically and then the weft which is going horizontally like Mm. how did you do it Annie Mm -hmm. and I actually this is really sad I probably shouldn't admit this but I went home and watched loads of YouTube videos of weaving (laughs) (laughs) and started like looking up different practices there's a whole wealth of um YouTube videos out there. So it really inspired you to go home really and did. make yourself. It really, and really you did. you bought a copy of her book. I did as well, yeah. She dedicated it to, quote, her great teachers, the weavers of ancient Peru. So she didn't dedicate it to the Bauhaus weaving workshop. <laughs> it's to the people that she really felt like she learned from, which, again, I like that idea of taking something that like, exists all over the world, has existed for thousands of years, and actually saying, there's something in this, let's bring this into the present day. So, Kazi, if you could take one work. Which one work. Be? Can I have an artwork and then an object? Is that Are you going to take a loom? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes I'm taking the loom. I'm like taking you. Annie's loom. Every week I'm always like, can I have an extra one? Can I have an extra one? Just pushing the boundaries. You're greedy. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I just really appreciate art, Laura. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would take probably one of her classics. So it's called black white and yellow it's kind of early on in the exhibition and really shows her Bauhaus influence it's a wall hanging that's got loads of different kind of oblongs and and rectangles and it's all these different variations of greys yellows blacks and it was made with three colours and through different materials and different colours and combinations of those colours she creates quite an array of different tones and textures so I think I'll have that. Vicky do you know what you'd take? I would take the wall hangings that were destined for the auditorium because of their shimmering beauty and also the concept of it this massive room being filled with this sort of space agey metallic finish mm. it was so thick then yeah. and dense that as well it was yeah. like almost like a, a sculptural work i would love to have been able to see that finished space mm. because if you think about 
a obviously the very practical quality that it was supposed to have which is sort of soundproofing but also if you're putting on a production and how it glisten in the light and like mm. catching stage lights in particular yeah it would be just sort of mesmerizing I think in, in that setting yeah and how she created that texture and that presence yeah. was really impressive that was markedly different I thought to most of the other works and yeah in terms of its weight yeah, what um, would you have Laura well I don't oh I don't think I take them for myself actually but the works I found the it's most very charitable of you beautiful <laughs> were the ones where I could see them in the in the okay. setting that they yeah. were made for but I very often find that with paintings as well like when you True. see it sort of when you see a Caravaggio in the church that it was actually painted for and the light source is it coming so much more sense. it makes much more sense yeah. and so I really loved the six prayers yeah. and you saw the photographs of, of them within the mm. synagogue and, mm. and then that sort of really kind of resonated with me so the six prayers was a commission yeah as a holocaust memorial mm. and so and it's a really really beautiful work but again just seeing it within the setting that it was made for mm. kind of really set it off i thought me. they managed to display it as well as they could it was, mm. was quite moving yeah, was, and sort of yeah. somber given that it had so much like gilding it was almost in a chapel it. That they created yeah. and yeah you moved into a markedly darker room than the rest of the exhibition yeah, yeah. Like, the rest of the exhibition had like bright yellow walls every now and then like accented walls to set off the other artworks or or they were all white whereas all the screens i actually thought yeah. the way that they used screens as wall partitions mm. was actually also really interesting and that was gave a nice a little nod little nod to the uh, the weaving theme but i was also going to be greedy and take home some jewelry maybe Oh, yeah. okay. While you're, while you're there. While you're at it. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. Oh, I lo- actually, have. I love the necklace that was like the little plastic rings and the grow grain ribbon. Yeah. The red grow grain ribbon. That was really well, nice. Christmas something... is coming up, Johnny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> that's something that you can, can probably buy from... now, right? Yeah. yeah. It looks like something you could possibly get. Yeah. But um, I think the hairpin one for me. Cool. So Annie Albers is... On at the Tate Modern. Tate Modern, guys. Tate Modern. Not just the Tate. Until the 27th of January, so you've got loads of time to go and see that one. We finally went to see a show that she's on for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So go, definitely do go have a look. <laughs> go have a look. Just go have a look. Don't have, have a, look. a feel. Don't have a feel. Don't run under the artwork. Do, do you might have be a feel in the last room because it's definitely Oh, yeah, that's one. true. <laughs> Apart from the acrylic. That, that was horrible. Anyway, that's really niche. Ignore that. Oh. <laughs> in joke for weavers. Yeah, that's um, an in joke for knitters out there. <laughs> Time for a bit of art news now. We've picked out a few stories that we thought might be interesting uh, to discuss. This might surprise you. Good. Oh, go Take on it then. away, Vicky. Surprise us. Um, Christie's is going to become the first auction house to sell a work of art created by artificial intelligence. The painting um, made this year is a hazy portrait of what appears to be a well-fed clergyman hailing from an intermediate <laughs> indeterminate period of history um just pan history pan yeah history. well i mean it's just it could the, be created the fat clergyman type yeah. you know it and it does artists. look like he's sort of i don't know maybe i mean that's ai hedging its best yeah. 18th, 18th century <laughs> would you describe it as timeless century? Not sure. It is a timeless piece. Yes, <laughs> let's call it timeless. Is that in the, the Christie's marketing bump? Mm, I don't know. But according to the to the title, it is a gentleman called Edmund Bellamy, and his portrait they're hoping is going to fetch between seven and ten thousand dollars. But it also, you know, having had the discussion about Annie Albers and the role of the artist and very much works being created by the artist's hand, raises a very different question about in this situation, you know, questions about authorship and and who is the artist or how is art created, which I thought was really interesting. 
um, going from one extreme to the other. Mm. Um, and what's fascinating in my mind, actually, is it's created by a collective based in Paris called Obvious. They sought legal advice on whether or not they should patent the, quote, uh, the code that goes behind it. And the lawyers came back quoting £10,000 for, for the cost of that patent, which they decided was not worth it. I mean, you know, back your own work. <laughs> it's like, it's not worth it, guys. We're not going to do it. It's quite a juxtaposition between what we've been talking about, like, you know, hand mm. weaving and the kind of technical skill of the individual. And then, although weaving is quite mathematical and mm. almost like writing code, but there's still like the hand is still involved. involved. Yeah, it's an interesting one that like, who's the source? Who's the uh, author? And mm. what's and the role ha- of the artist then if yeah. AI is making work? But also, if it's not patented and therefore it's open to being used by somebody else, like yeah, that's any sort of sense of, um, I guess, exclusivity about it mm. disappears entirely. So what's Quite. to say that? It's Could even you trace worth... that it was that this one was made by this exact collective, whereas another one? The algorithm was triggered that, somewhere else. I don't but know. that's what the patent would be. It would yeah. be copywriting that essentially and saying yeah. that, you know, if you want to use this, you have to pay us. Yeah. Um, and they're saying no, which actually is in some ways very egalitarian yeah. in terms of like, mm. we'll just leave it on the internet and, you know, we, I don't, I mean, I don't want a recreation of that painting. <laughs> you don't want a timeless fat picker? <laughs> timeless fat. No, I've, oh, I've got Call plenty. Edmund. I've got plenty. It's too many. They can't. Well, the walls let, are full we'll, of them. We'll update you in the coming weeks to uh, let you know what it's sold for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been episode four of the Artcast. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. And thank you if you've done so already. It just helps people find the podcast and also... We love reading a little review. It really brightens up our day. Yeah, and send us some emails as well. Yes, Hello, please the do. Cast at love some correspondence. Yeah, Kara's loves a little bit of correspondence, particularly on a typewriter. Particularly on a typewriter. But we don't have a postal address, so if you could keep yeah. it to email, that would be <laughs> I'm great. Not, yeah, I'm so not going to put my address on the internet. It's <laughs> theartcast at gmail.com. And we will be back in two weeks' time where we'll be talking about Klimt Sheila, which is on at the Royal Academy. I don't think it's opened yet. I think it's we're going on the first day at So this was my concession to Laura. If you went to Annie Albers, Laura gets to go to Klimt. Klimt and Sheila, two of my faves. Klimt is, no, Sheila is so provocative that he's even censored on the underground these days. Blimey. I know. Are you taking your daughter? No, no, actually, to this one. (gasps) Probably the best choice. Probably the best. (laughs) Anyways, um, this has been the Artcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon. Bye. Bye.